You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So the solution is that we're going to talk about Birchat Karnim, which is in this week's parsha of Nassau in America, right? Um, I think this mitzvah of Birchat Karnim is underestimated, and uh, there are two separate uh, things that I hope to get to. One is, obviously, sort of the ability to... Um, to have a deeper understanding about what Birchus Karnim is all about, the priestly blessing. And the other is what we should be thinking and feeling when we hear Birchat Karnim. And maybe we'll get to some technical halachic issues. You know, I heard a fantastic story years ago by a guy named Rav Yitzchak Eisenbach. I heard this from Rav Tversky, Rav Avram Tversky. Rav Yitzchak Eisenbach was a Gadol Batorah. When he was a little boy, I think he was like six or seven years old, so he, he was in Yerushalayim. And uh, his father used to go on Shabbos afternoons to the old city. You're talking about around the turn of the century, 1890, 1900. Um, at that time, Rav Nachum who was the Rav of Chernobyl, uh, he lived from 1840 to 1936. And he came to Eretz Yisrael towards the end of his life. And he was a Rebbe in uh, Yerushalayim. And he had a shtibel in the old city. And people would go there to Davin and have Shalashudas. Anyway, one day this boy was walking to the old city on his own. You know, he was going to sort of play and then meet up with, uh, you know, his father to go to Shul for Mincha. And as he's walking through Shariafo, uh, by the way, on the same road that you walked many times to get to Araita, um, he saw a gold coin, a big gold coin. You have to understand, the Jewish community in Yerushalayim was poverty-stricken. I mean, even the ones who lived in Meisharim, which was one of the first communities outside the old city walls uh, the 1880s. Uh, it was actually called Me'asharim because it was established in Parsha Toldot and Me'asharim, Blessing. They were poverty-stricken. I mean, they, they used to live, you know, week to week. And he realized that this gold coin was a huge amount of money. And he, he couldn't believe it. Like, he was so excited like to be able to bring this home to his family. But it was Shabbos afternoon. You know, Mukta can't pick up a gold coin. So he decided that he would stand on the gold coin. There was no one around. And he'd wait a couple hours. He would just stand there until Shabbos was out. And then he could pick up the gold coin. Okay. So he's standing sort of on the road by Shariafo, inside the gate, on top of this gold coin. Well, after a little while, you know, people are passing by. People start to notice there's a little Jewish boy. He's just standing there. There's a group of Arab kids, because that particular part of the old city was not part of the Jewish neighborhood. It was an Arab neighborhood. And they notice this little Jewish kid. And one of the guys walks over to him. And they start asking him, what are you doing here? Like, what are you watching? Why are you here? Go away. And he obviously doesn't want to walk away. And he suddenly realizes there's like a few Arab kids and they're kind of pushing him and taunting him. So finally he says, well, I found a gold coin. I found a coin, but I'm not allowed to pick it up. It's my Sabbath. So I'm just waiting until the Sabbath is over and then I'm going to pick it up. Well, you know... <laughs> Not a bright thing to say to a you know group of kids, you know, all of whom are equally poverty stricken. So of course this Arab kid sort of realizes you know what, what's happening, and he before this boy Yitzchak can do anything about it, he shoves him, sees the gold coin, grabs the gold coin, and takes off. The other kids start laughing at him, and they run off too. And after an hour and a half of standing on this gold coin, right, you know it's already getting late in the day. He can't believe it. This poor six, seven-year-old, you know, he's devastated. I mean, you can imagine he was dreaming about bringing the gold coin, hope to home to his family, etc. Nothing he can do. So miserably, he heads to the shnibble. 
and gets the shtibol, they're finishing Mincha, and he goes into the room where they have Shalashiris. And after Mincha, the Rebbe walks in to the room. Now, mind you, this is the Rebbe of Chernobyl. This is Rebbe Nachum Tversky. This is a huge Torah scholar, Tamad Chacham, Hasidic Rebbe. And uh, as the story goes, he immediately notices something's wrong. Because this boy used to help set up Shalashiris. He was always smiling. And now he's sitting on a chair in the corner. And he looks miserable. So before we say anything else, just just that a Hasidic Rebbe would notice that a six-year-old boy is sad and sitting on the side, that makes him a Rebbe in my eyes. So he walks over and he says, you know, what's going on? And the boy starts crying. He says, what happened? What happened? So he tells him the story, the gold coin, and he was standing on it, but he couldn't pick it up because it was Mukta, and they pushed him off it, whatever. And the Rebbe looks at the boy, and with a smile he says, I think I have a solution to your problem. I have something at home I think I can give you that will make you feel great. So the boy looks up at him. He stops crying. He says, but now it's Shalashudas and it's Shabbat. Help us set up for Shalashudas. Sing with us. And after Avdallah, you'll come back to my house and we'll solve the problem. Tufts, they finish Avdallah. They finish Mariv. And the boy tells his father and he walks back with the Rebbe to his house. They get into the house and the boy and the Rebbe takes the boy to his study and he opens up a drawer and he pulls out a gold coin, exactly like the gold coin that the boy was standing in. And he says to him, you don't have to worry, because I'm going to give you this gold coin. But the deal is, I will give you the gold coin if you give me the schar, the reward, for the mitzvah you just did. And the boy looks up at him, puzzled, but his eyes are like a light, you know, because he's seeing this gold coin. He says, yeah, he says, you just did an unbelievable mitzvah. You're a six-year-old boy. And, and you didn't pick up the coin. You didn't put it in your pocket. You demonstrated covered Shabbos. You didn't even... That's a huge mitzvah. He says, I'm going to purchase your schar. I want to purchase the reward that you have for this mitzvah with this gold coin. Sell me your schar. So the boy looks at the Rebbe. And he looks at the gold coin. And he looks back at the Rebbe. He says, if the Rebbe thinks that the schar of this mitzvah is worth that gold coin, then the mitzvah is not for sale. And he walks away. You know, which is a good vach. The Rebbe puts the coin back into the table and story's over. You know? What is our relationship with materialism? How important to us is the stuff, the stuff that we accrue, the stuff that we aspire to, the savings in our bank accounts, the cars that we drive, the college degrees that we get. How important is that to us? Do we see that as a vehicle or do we see that as a goal? Right? And I don't mean intellectually. I don't mean when you're sitting in Rav David or Rav Judah or Rav Noam Shir and they ask the question. Everybody knows what to say. But deep down, you know, what's really important? So I think that this is at the root of one of the aspects of Birchaz Khan, right? What happens in Birchaz Khan? First of all, it's worth just talking a little about how Birchaz Khan works, right? Um, there are a, a number of significant questions uh, when it comes to Birchaz Khan. First of all, the end of Birchaz Khan, right? This is in Perak Vav, it's in Parashat uh, Naso, right? Is Kotu Vachunet Bnei Yisrael Vani so shall you bless the Jewish people, and I will bless them. In fact, there's an interesting discussion of whether Kohanim actually say this as part of their silence, whatever, but we won't go there right now. 
right? So shall you bless the Jewish people, and I, God, will bless them. So the obvious question is, who's doing the blessing? Are the Kohanim giving a bracha, or is a Kodesh Baruch giving a bracha? And if a Kodesh Baruch is giving a bracha, so then the obvious question is, well, then so what do you need the Kohanim for? What is this? What is this game? What exactly is it that the Kohanim are doing, right? And why do we need them, right? Now, when you look at the halachot of Berchas Kohanim, so there are a lot of allusions to what's really going on here. I'll just give you a few examples. Um, first of all, we make Berchas Kohanim. It's interesting that in Israel we say Berchas Kohanim every day. In Chutzlaretz, you only say Berchas Kohanim and Yamtef. There's not really a good reason for this. Like, if you look up in Halacha, the basic reason that's given, there are actually two. One is because um, uh, Kohanim should only bless in a state of simcha, in a state of joy. And when you're in Chutzlaretz, you, when you're overseas, out of Eretz Yisrael, you can't achieve that level of joy, some say of spirituality, except when you're on Yantuf. On Yantuf, people are so, you know, the, the, the number of the Mepharshim talk about, the Beralacha talks about, that, that a person is tarud ba'asakav, a person is caught up in, in the daily things. Even on Shabbos, you're still thinking about your work week. On Yom Tov, when you have extra celebration, extra joy, then you could get into a space for Berchaz Konim. And that's why in Israel you do say Berchaz Konim. There's a second reason that's given, uh, which, by the way, the Magid of Mizrich in his uh, Shulchan, uh, no, the Baal Tanya, in his Shulchan Arav, says is not really a good reason, but it's the reason that's given, um, that uh, Konim in the time of the second Beis Amitash used to... Uh, you had to go to mikvah before you did Berchaz Kohanim in the base of Mikdash. Right? In the base of Mikdash, they did Berchaz Kohanim once a day, before, right after Tamid Shalboka, after the morning sacrifice. There's a whole story about how they did it. Um, by the way, as a trivia question, what is the difference between any Kohen in the base of Mikdash doing Berchaz Kohanim and the Kohen Gadol doing Berchaz Kohanim? Anybody know? There's one difference quoted in Halacha. The Gemara talks about it. Anybody know? Yeah, Mendy, you know? Doesn't he like actually say Hashem's name? Nope, they all say Hashem's nope. name, and they don't say Shem They don't say Shem Mefarsh. What's the difference? You're close though. There's something about where his hands are. That's exactly right. The Kohen Gadol does not lift his hands above his head because on his forehead was the tzitz. The tzitz was a sort of a silver piece, a gold piece that, that went across his forehead, and that had Shem Mefarsh in it, and therefore you don't leave your hands above the name of Hashem, and that's why he didn't do it. But anyway. They would do Birchaz Kohanim once a day, and of course they did Tevilah. They had to go to Mikvah. That was part of the Avodah, right? So on Shabbos, right, many Kohanim, once they did Mikvah, which a Kohen would do at night, the night before, right? So they wouldn't have relations with their, or sorry, the day before, they wouldn't have relations with their wives. But there were Kohanim that wanted to have relations with their wives, and therefore they wouldn't go to Mikvah, and they wouldn't do Birchaz Kohanim, they wouldn't go up to the Avodah, and therefore became a Minag not to do Birchas Kohanim, except on Yom Tov, when they all did uh, whatever. But there are different opinions. By the way, that's why there is a minhag. Some communities have to remember that. To this day, that if, that if Yom Tov falls on Shabbos, that you don't do Birchas Kohanim. It's not a minhag to it's not a mistake, it's an actual minhag. Brought down Malacha. There are many Mepharshim who say that despite these reasons, they aren't really good reasons, but because this was the minhag, therefore in Atzos Ashkenaz, we don't do Birchas Kohanim, we don't do the priestly blessing on, uh, on Shabbat, on uh, uh, in Israel, except on Yantav. Of course, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins that you do, and therefore Sephardic communities, um, and by the way, some other communities, who, based on different Mepharshim, uh, do do Birchaz Kohanim. When I was in Florida, I used to sneak into the Sephardic Minyan in the Boker Synagogue so I could catch Birchaz Kohanim. 
I had a really hard time. I didn't want to go three years without Berchus Kohanim for reasons that we'll get to. Um, but uh, there are a number of interesting issues when it comes to Berchus Kohanim. By the way, when the Kohanim go up to Duchen, okay, this is interesting. So what do they do? They stand facing the Aaron, and then, right, the the the, the the Rambam talks about and the Shulchan Aruch passes this way. It's a very specific regimen to how this happens, right? The the Shliach Tzibur. First of all, if a Kohen is on his own, then nobody has to call up. You don't say Kohenim because then the Kohen can start and it'll all be together. But if there's more than one Kohen, then someone calls up the Kohenim. It's a big debate whether it's the Chazan himself, which is what the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, or someone else. That's an interesting discussion. Um, and what happens if the Shliach Tzibur is a Kohen? And should we let? Shlech uh, Tzibur, if he's the only Kohen, it's an interesting question. But in any event, um, the, the, the Kohenim don't start the bracha until the Makri is finished. And when the Makri starts to say, you know, Yivarecha, so the Kohenim should only say the word when he's done. Okay? And then the Makri, the person reading the words of the blessing, the, the, the Shlech Tzibur, should only say the next word when he's sure the Kohenim are finished. Right? And so that it will flow. Some Kohenim elongate the end, and that's what I do when I'm the Baltvila. And the tzibur should not say amen until the entire bracha is finished. And the shlich tzibur is not supposed to start sim shalom until the, the tzibur, until the community is finished saying amen. And also it's a regimen. But there's an interesting thing. You ever notice in the bracha, if you're not a Kohen, um, you ever notice that, right? Bruchat HaShem, Lakinu Mucham Sheki Dishanu, Tzitavit Sivanu, Levarech Tamo Yisrael Be'ava. So the word Be'ava is elongated. Be'ava. Why do they do that elongated? Because that's when what happens to the Kohenim here? Who's the Kohen here? What are you doing when you say the word Be'ava, Mendy? You turn around. You turn around, that's correct, right? You turn around. Now that's interesting. I mean, that's really remarkable. You're standing up on the bima. you're facing the Aaron Kodesh. And now you turn around, you put your back to the Sifar Torah. When else do we do this? Even when the when the when the Baltfila is holding a Sefer Torah and he turns to the Tzibur to say Shema Yisrael, he's holding a Sefer Torah, so he's not really putting his back to, to all the Sefer Torah. So the Kohenim do this because they're supposed to face the Tzibur, right? In fact, there are a number of interesting halachas that come out of this. The first is based on the Gemara and the Rambam passes this way. So is Shulchan Aruch, so is Mishabura, that um, you have to face the Kohenim. You can cover your face, but you have to face the Kohenim, and they have to face you. If you're in a show with a bima somewhere in the middle and you're standing behind them, as opposed to on their side, you're not Yotzei Birchaz Konim. As we'll see, the entire purpose of Birchaz Konim, the blessing for Konim, is defeated if you're behind them. Right? So you have to be in front of them. Worst case, you could be on their side. Um, I've sometimes seen people, I don't usually say something because I think it's Mutav Shiyushogi and I don't think they'll listen to me. But sometimes you see a parent, you know, like what I do is my boys come under the talus with me, Right? And so they tend to want to turn around because you're all huddled in. But they're not supposed to turn their back to the Kohenim according to some, they're not Yotzei Berchaz Kohenim. Right? So therefore you should do it in such a way that you're facing the Kohenim. Right? Um, doesn't matter if there's a mechitza between you, but you're supposed to be facing them. Right? Um, and and, and the, the Lashon of the Rabbim, the Kohenim's faces have to face the Jewish people. Why is that? Why is it? If a Kodesh Baruch is blessing us, and the Kohenim is just a vehicle for the blessing, why do we need the Kohenim to face us? Right? It's a very, very strange idea. Okay? Um, by the way, you know there's a custom not to look at the Kohenim to cover your head with the talus, right? Do you know why you do that? Does anybody know? That's exactly right. 
people talk about, you know, you shouldn't see the Shekhinah, and that's Baba Mises, right? Uh, the Chassidim talk about that, but it's not. The real reason the Rambam quotes is because if you're looking at somebody, you distract him, right? Walk into a room where somebody's giving a speech, stand on the side and stare at him, and you won't be able to keep doing. You'll, you'll, you'll distract him, right? Shouldn't have Hadas for him and for you, right? There are many halachos. By the way, what do you do if there's a, a shul that is all kohanim? They're only kohanim. Am I know? Still do birchas kohanim, no? Pardon? They still do birchas kohanim. Why? Why are they doing birchas kohanim if it's the Jewish people who are meant to be blessed? There's no Jews there. Because I mean. Because they're blessing all of Kabbalah. So the Rambam's lashon beta knes based on the Gemara beta knes at shekulan koanim kulam nosim at kapehem, right? Ulamihem evrachim. Who are they blessing? La achirim la achayhem shabat zafon ula achayhem shabadaron. They're blessing their brothers. That the Gemara says la achayhem shabasadeh. That's the Mishaburu quotes. It's interesting to me that the Rambam here uses the word achayhem, right? If 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 they're not your brothers. Then, there's, then it's a flawed bracha. Okay, there's also a lacha that if 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 there's a coin, and he's the only coin to him birchas koanim, and you have a taka with him, you hate him or he hates you, you you, you can't be out to this bracha. Either he has to not bless or you have to walk out of shul. He can't, by the way, not bless if he's in shul when they call up the koanim, because the mitzvah the ariser your mavatla mitzvah say so he has to walk out of shul. Very very difficult halacha, by the way, right? A person who's a chote. It's interesting, by the way, the Rambam points out um, that there are only specific chataim, only specific transgressions for which a Kohen doesn't bless. Right? I'll read you the Allah and the Rambam. By the way, Hilchos Nesios Kapayim, which Sefer is in this, is this in, in the 14th form of the Rambam? Sefer? Ava. That's right, it's in Sefer Ava. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting, right? Because the essence of Birchas Kohenim, as we're going to see, is all about Ava. Right? I'll tell you something else that's interesting. Okay? There is no separate Hilchos Messias Kapayim. Wait, hang on one second. Somebody is. Hilchos uh, Messias Kapayim is only two prokim at the end of Hilchos Tvila. It's latched onto Hilchos Tvila. So if somebody ever tells you it says something Hilchos Messias Kapayim, Perak Yud, there is no Messias Kapayim, Perak Yud. Right, it's only uh, Yud Dalad and uh, Yud Dalad, yeah, Yud Dalad and Tetvav. But listen to this, right? There are there are Shisha Dvarim. There are six things that prevent a person from from. Oh, sorry, I was telling you. So there, which Chatoim? So the Rambam says like this. Um, uh, second, right? There are six things that prevent a coin from. Doing berachas kohanim, okay? Shisha dvarim morning nisias kapayim. Halashon, right? If you don't know how to say the words, or you like a person who has a lisp, may be halachically impaired from saying berachas kohanim. You have to be able to pronounce it properly, right? You have to be able to say it in Hebrew. Ve'amumin, if a person has certain blemishes, like if you're missing an arm or a finger or whatever, because that's a whole interesting discussion. But a kohen who did his avoda was a model, and if people would be distracted by you know sort of the fact he's missing a hand or an arm. So then that wouldn't be as beautiful and so on. This is like, you know, not politically correct, but that is the halacha, right? Feha Avera, if a person does transgressions, right? if a person's a murderer, he's not allowed to do berchas kohanim, can't be blessed by him. Vashanim, if a person's too young, or possibly if he hasn't reached puberty or he hasn't, isn't old enough to have a beard, right? Feha if a person gets drunk, 
By the way, that's the reason. It's a very strange reason. I'm not going to go there right now. But the reason that we don't do Birchas Kornim at Mincha is simply because there's an assumption in the Gemara that by Mincha, people had had wine and they, were, they could be slightly drunk. In order to make sure nobody ever does Birchas Kornim drunk, so therefore we don't do Birchas Kornim in the afternoon. Right? Which is an interesting debate. And that's why some are knowing not to do Birchas Kornim Sivachas Torah in the morning, Purim in the morning, etc. If people drink, right? Um, right? If you haven't done the Tilas Yadayim, right? So which Averos, which transgressions prevent a person from doing Birchas Kornim? Right? She says as follow. Avera Kate said, Koin Shaharagas Anefesh, if a person is a murderer, Afopisha Even if he has repented, he realized he did a terrible thing because you can't fix that. And a flawed Kohen, you can't give a bracha if you're not a role model for brachot. Right? Lo Yisad Kapav. For Kohen Sha'avod Kochavim. If a person was an idolater, right? Bain, Baones, Bain Bishgaga, Afopisha Asachuva. Even if you accidentally idolater, even if you were forced to do idolatry, right? Okay? Why? Because if you do idolatry and you're being forced, you're supposed to be willing to die rather than do that, etc., etc., right? Okay? Difficult halacha. V'chein koin shemir l'akum. A person who converted to idolatry, which according to some Rishonim would mean if a person became a Catholic and then did tshuva. Afal pisha chazabo enonosiet kapav le'olam. It's like a form of a blemish. V'shar ha'averot, but all the other averos, ein monim. If you have cheeseburgers all week, you can do birchas kohen, right? Crazy halacha. We're not going to get to that, right? But uh, fascinating idea. So the halachas of birchas kohen are interesting. Clearly, there is something here about um, uh, sort of there's something here about the way the kohenim relate to their fellow Jews. Okay. By the way, as as, as a sign of the idea that the kohen is really a vehicle for Hashem's blessing. There is an Isser, right? The Gemara in, um, in Rosh Hashanah, and Daf Chavchet quotes, uh, the Ram, uh, no, the Mishnah Brewer brings this in the Ber Alacha, um, that Kohenim are not allowed to add any personal blessings to Birchaz Kohenim. In fact, I don't know if you ever noticed this. When a Kohen comes down from Duchening, right, and you want to say Yishkayachtin, okay? So he would say in response, Baruch Tiyah, right? You, just, you actually say Yiyasher Kochacha, may your strength be straight, you know, and true, whatever. And then the answer to that is Baruch Tiyah, may you be blessed. So the Achronim talk about, is a Kohen allowed to say that? Because if he's saying Baruch Tiyah as part of his coming off of Duchening, then he's adding to the Bracha. And so there are some who have the custom not to say Baruch Tiyah, and some who take on the custom not to say Shkoach, not to cause a Kohen to accidentally say Baruch Tiyah. I think that's a little extreme, but there are Achronim who say that, right? Um, and there is another interesting detail which is quoted by the Mishnah Brewer in the Be'er Alacha, I think it's the Sefer Haredim, who says that just like there's a mitzvah for a Kohen to bless, there's a mitzvah for us to be blessed. Now what's the mitzvah to be blessed? Not actually a mitzvah, but facilitating, helping to facilitate someone. Fulfilling a mitzvah is itself a mitzvah. You know, I'll give you the most obvious example. Um, the mitzvah of Puruvu. Right, the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply, according to pretty much all of the Rishonim, is a mitzvah on the man. Right, the woman has a child, so you know, sort of in prior generations, the assumption was that she wouldn't abort the child. But a man has to make a decision to enter a woman. He can withhold, you know, ona. So therefore, there was a mitzvah incumbent on the man that he has to give to his wife the ability that the two of them should have children. So the Russian Kedushin says, nonetheless, the woman's mitzvah is obviously a man can't have children without a woman, so she facilitates the mitzvah. Right? And there are instances where that happens. Right? 
Um, another example of that is Simchas Yamtev. Right? There's an interesting debate. There are some who say that the mitzvah of Simchas Yamtev is a mitzvah seisha man grama. It's a mitzvah that you that that um, that is time dependent. And therefore, a woman isn't obligated, but a man is obligated to be samech and yamtov. Right? So there's a daya. I'm trying to remember where I saw this daya. I don't remember where I saw this daya, but I saw it. Oh, it's quoted in Torah Tamima. Torah Tamima says even though women might not be obligated to be samech and yamtov, nonetheless, she has a mitzvah to be happy because a man cannot be happy if his wife isn't happy. This, by the way, very true. You'll see this when you get married. It's very true what they say, happy wife, happy life. I cannot remember a single period in my life if my wife was unhappy that I was happy. You can't be happy if your wife's not happy for a whole host of reasons, right? So therefore, there's an idea that we... So so there are... Unfortunately, Sefer Haredin says that we have a mitzvah to facilitate the Kohenim making a bracha. So for example, if you know that, uh, you know, there's nine guys... And you get there in time. You make the minion. And because of that, a Kohen, you do Berchus Kohenim. Then in addition to completing a minion, you you fulfill the mitzvah, facilitating, right, of helping a person to fulfill the mitzvah. So what is all this about? What is our relationship with the material world? What, um, what, what, uh, what's the essence of Berchus Kohenim? So I want to share with you two interesting ideas. I saw an idea uh, in the Akedas Yitzchak. A friend actually quotes this. Yitzchak Arama was a late Rishon, lived in Italy, uh, 14th century, I believe. Wrote a phenomenal parish on Chamisha Chum Torah and Parashat Shavua called the Akedas Yitzchak. If you've never seen this, I highly recommend it. And he says there a fascinating thing. He says, you know, we have spoken in our shiurim here that the word bracha, levarech, is to increase. Right? Hashem Some of you remember this. He, however, has a different idea. He says the word bracha is related to the concept of the brecha. A brecha is a pool. And therefore a bracha is, is it means to be a pool, to be a wellspring, to be a source. Right? He points out that in the three lines of Birchas Kanye, right, Yivarecha Hashem Vishmarecha, Yer Hashem Panavelecha Vichuneka, Isa Hashem Panavelecha Vesem Shalom. The name Hashem is repeated in each of these blessings. So he asked the obvious question, why do why, the Torah doesn't add words? Why doesn't it just say Yivarecha Hashem V'yishmarecha V'yer panavelecha V'chunecha V'yisar panavelecha Why do we have to add the name Hashem? Because he says the Kohenim are not giving a blessing. Because Baruch Hu gives the blessing. The Kohenim are giving a Musashmus. They're basically telling the people you need to remember that Hashem is the source of these blessings. So just to give you an example look at the first bracha. What's the first bracha? Yivarecha Hashem V'yishmarecha Now what does that mean? Rashi makes this a very physical bracha, right? What does Yivarecha Hashem mean? So Rashi says, Yivarecha, right? Shigit barchu nechasecha. That your material items should be blessed. You should have a good livelihood. You should get to live in a nice house. You should have the car you like. You should be able to buy nice clothes. That's a very strange bracha. That's what we want. We hope Hashem gives us wealth. You know, that's what matters. So we'll get back to that, right? And then what does V'yishmerecha mean, according to Rashi? So, no, if Hashem gives you wealth, well, wealth isn't such a blessing. You're going to worry about it. You're going to have to put an alarm system in. You're going to have to make sure nobody takes it. You don't want people looking at you and thinking about it, people being jealous of you. Maybe they'll cheat you out of it, you know. I don't have to worry, Baruch Hashem, that someone's going to steal my car. Because my car's a leased car. It's not such a fancy car. You steal the car, I'll have an inconvenience. 
But if I owned, you know, if I was Jay Leno and I have, was driving around in a, you know, $2 million Mercedes Benz that was, you know, built by Winston Churchill, so then, so then I'm, I'm all worried about my car, you know? I once, um, I was in Los Angeles, and a guy, I was meeting with a guy, a um, wonderful guy, and who uh, uh, wasn't fundraising, he was the friend of a friend, and whatever, my wife, I won't get into the details in case he ever hears this tape, and he showed up in this beautiful car. It was a red convertible Porsche. Now, I don't know much about cars, but it was clear this was a, a wealthy car, right? And we were going to some place to grab lunch, and when he gets to the place, there were no parking spaces. And I said, oh, there's a space. He says, no, I can't park there. I'm afraid somebody will hit my car. He drove around. There was no garage. He drove around for 20 minutes to find a parking spot that he was sure would save for his car. I don't have that issue. I could park my car in the middle of Harlem. You know? Somebody takes it. Somebody takes it. Right? So sometimes having nechasim is not such a great bracha. So Rashi says, what is v'yishmerecha? He says, this is very simple. Pshat, right? Rashi's in pshat, right? Right? That people shouldn't steal it. What good is it if Hashem gives you money if you, if you have to worry all the time that someone's going to steal it? Right? If I give you a present, I can't protect the present for you. What blessing was the, was the money that, that you gave me if someone went and stole it the next day? So therefore, Yivarecha Hashem V'yishmarecha is a material blessing. Okay. Now, you can imagine we could say, well, you know, okay, it's not, the goal isn't money, money is the vehicle, we'll get back to that too. But this is a funny thing to start Berchaz Khan. Okay. What's the second bracha? Ya'er Hashem panav elecha v'chuneka. Right? What does Rashi say? Ya'er Hashem panav elecha v'chuneka. Right? Yitain lecha chen. That Hashem should give you chen. Now, we've spoken about chen before, I think. Chen is inner beauty, right? Chen is not the beauty you see on the person when they walk out in a nice suit. Chen is the beauty that becomes apparent when they start to talk to you, right? Yofi or Tiferet, those are beauties that you can see, or Yofi especially, right? Yafta lokin liyafet, Greek beauty. That's like, you know, the, the, the woman who gets off the bus and everybody turns their head. Chen? Chen is the woman who stands up on the bus to give the old woman a seat, and you suddenly realize she's a beautiful person. Shem should give you chen, right? And real chen comes from Akash Baruch. Yer Hashem panavelecha v'chuneka, right? Now, what does it mean Yer Hashem panavelecha? So, what is pnei Hashem? There are many different circumstances that talk about this. Without getting too deeply into it, one way of understanding this, the 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 the, the no, Mechter um, Meliyahu alludes to this. I think you can understand this in Rav Kook. Pnei Hashem is the aspect of Hashem that we can connect to. When you see someone's face, it doesn't really mean that you know who they are. But it's the quickest way to begin to develop a relationship. You can experience someone when you look at their face. You can differentiate them from anybody else because you see their face. But just because I see their face doesn't mean I know who you are. So Pnei Hashem is the beginning, is, is the limited ability I have to develop a relationship with Hashem. Hashem will give me that relationship. From that relationship comes Chaim. The chen that we have, the inner beauty, can only come from relationship with Hashem. That's a beautiful brach. So what's the obvious question here? <laughs> Why do I start with materialism? Why, according to Rashi, is the first bracha about wealth, and only the second bracha 
is about is about chen and spiritual reward. Right? The Orachaim talks about shaloyiye masach hamavdil bein Yisrael aviyam shvashamayim. Hashem should sign His light on us. Means there's no divider. That we should have a connection with the Kodesh Baruch and it's the kavana that you're meant to have when Cohen says, Hashem panavelecha you know, remember when you got to a writer. And at least half of you said, when I was asking you in that first meeting we had back in Elul, and we're talking about, you know, what are your goals? At least half the guys in Yeshiva said, I want to see if I can finally figure out or develop my relationship with Hashem. And then we talked about, well, how do you do that? What are the metrics? So you get to this bracha, Hashem panavelecha, I so yearn for a relationship. I want to feel Hashem in my life. I want to be blessed with, 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 with a world that I can see through the prism of a, of a God-created and God-inspired and God-driven world. Why is that second? First we start with the money, and then we start with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, right? So I, I want to tell you, and this relates to the... It's not accidental, by the way, that Birchaz name is right next to Nazir in Parshat Naso, because we spoke about this a little bit last week. The mitzvah of Nazir is very much related to this. What the Torah is trying to tell me is, and, and this fits very well, by the way, with the Shita of the Rambam, as opposed to the Ramban. If you remember last week, we said, or when we spoke about Nazir, that the Nazir brings a Korban Chata, right? The Nazir is the person who limits himself and desists from wine and other pleasures for 30 days, right? Um, and at the end, he has to bring Korban Chata. So he has to bring a, uh, a sin offering, a chet, a steak offering. And the question is why? So the Ramban says he brings a Chata because now he's going to go back into the world. When you reach a spiritual level, how can you want to go back? The Ramban would say, shame on you for ever wanting to leave Yeshiva. Right? The Rambam says the opposite. The Rambam says the fact that he felt he had to leave the world, he felt that he was off balance, he was making mistakes, and therefore he had to take that 30-day journey. Now that he's finished and gotten into a healthy space, he realizes the mistakes that he's made. So the chatas you would bring on the last day of your year in Yeshiva is to realize what a bum you were, to quote Rav Noam, when you came to Yeshiva. As opposed to Ramban who says, you know, that you're going back into the world. So I think this fits with the sheet of the Rambam. Because you know I'm a Rambam man, right? What the Torah maybe is trying to tell me here is that Judaism doesn't see the material world as evil. There is a value to wealth. There is a value to, to, to having good things in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. The question is why you want them and what you do with them, right? Maybe they're the first bracha because they're not the end of the journey. They're just a stepping stone on the journey. It's okay to want to get a college degree. It's okay to want to get a prestigious college degree. It's okay to want to have a nice car. You just have to ask yourself, why do you want that? If you just want that because you think it looks good to have a nice car, so then shame on you. What a waste. But if you want that because you think it can help you do good things, then you shtabach shalom. Right? So that's the first idea in, in Birchaz Kodim. Right? The second idea relates to the concept of um, of Ava. What does it mean, Levarech Tamo Yisrael Be'Ava? So there are two ways to look at that, right? One way to look at that is um, that a Kohen who isn't in a state of Ava shouldn't be giving a bracha. He can't be a vehicle for blessing. You think about it. Imagine that you, I don't know, you, you, you get to Yeshiva and there's a Rav and, and, and the Rav is brilliant and he has tremendous Torah. But you see, he's a nasty person, you know? And you feel he doesn't like you. It doesn't matter how special his Torah is. You can't learn Torah from him. You can't be blessed through him. And he will not, by the way, be a vehicle for bracha. It won't work out well, right? So a Kohen 
By the way, there is no, um, there's no IQ limitation to be a Kohen. Okay? There's no level of Torah learning you need to be a Kohen. To practice the Avodah, you had to go to Kohenim school. It was actually a five-year yeshiva program. It was like Hezder, right? Obviously, you can't, I don't know, offer up the Chumas Adeshen if you don't know what the Deshen is. You can't be the one bringing the carbon. You can't do Malika on a bird if you don't even know, you know, sort of how to use your fingernail to, to kill the bird on the back of the neck. You had to learn things. But to give Birchas Kohenim, all you need to do is learn the words. Pretty simple. You could teach the average person Birchas Kohenim you know, in a couple of hours, right? So, but you have to be Be'ava. You have to be Be'ava. You know, there's um, there's a particular Kohen in our shul. Um, I actually think it's a mitzvah to say his name, so I don't usually do that, but I'm going to make an exception in this case. His name is Kenny Cohen, Chaim Cohen. He's an he's a he's a he's a, uh, a doctor, a general practitioner. And, uh, you know, the way it works where I live is that uh, in Efrat, you don't have your doctor, you have a medical center, and whichever doctor. So sometimes he would be the doctor that would see us or see our kids. Uh, now works also in Beitar. And, um, and he's a Kohen. And he goes up to Duchen um, every week. And he's always smiling. And I've never heard him say a negative word to anybody. And he comes to my partnership, so I've got to know him all year. Some of you may remember the story I told you um, Oh, actually, this before uh, last summer in July. Maybe I mentioned the story. I think I talked to you about this on Rosh Hashanah. Um, we went, uh, he had, uh, uh, they announced in Shul that Shabbos that his son had gotten engaged, Nachshon. Uh, Nachshon was, uh, every, every family has their journey, and he was theirs. And he had his journeys, uh, but a special boy. Went to Mechina. You know, he was a, a really amazing guitarist and really into singing. And he kind of, you know, he had, went through the whole journey in high school, long hair and whatever, and, um, but very close relationship with his parents and his dad. And then he went to Mechina after um, high school, and uh, something just clicked. Something just clicked. And he got really invested in Judaism, particularly in davening. And you could see the change in him, little by little. The hair got a little shorter, the kippah got a little bigger. But the way that you noticed it the most was the way he davened. I mean, he would daven. It was unbelievable how long it took him to do Shemun Esrei. And it wasn't like a fad for a week. It was month after month after month. Sometimes somebody would come back to close the shul Friday nights because he would still be davening. So they'd want to lock him in. And somebody with the gabe would come back later and lock up the shul. Unbelievable. Right? And they finally announced uh, he had met the love of his life. And within a month of their of their starting to date, they announced their engagement. And they announced it in Shul at Shabbos. Well, we got it on a WhatsApp, I think, the day before. And so, you know, I went over to him and I gave him a big hug. And I wasn't, you know, I gave Nachshon a big hug and he gave me a hug. And I didn't know him as well, but just beautiful. And the next, and that Wednesday night, they had a, um, they had a, Sibat Erosin. They had an engagement party. I wasn't able to make it, but I heard about it. And I WhatsApped with uh, 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 people who were there, Nachshon with Chaim. Kenny, and uh, just beautiful. There's nothing better than to see your son find the love of his life, and they're happy, and they were so... And I, I, I met her later. What, they were totally in sync. Spiritual girl. The next morning, I get a WhatsApp from the show. The community of Leib Efrat, with great pain, were sorry to announce the death of Nachshon ben Chaim Rachel Cohen. And I thought it was a mistake. There was another Chaim Cohen in the community, but I don't think his wife is Rachel, but I could be wrong. 
he didn't wake up the next morning. He had the height of his life. He celebrated his engagement, went to sleep, must have had an aneurysm, and never woke up. And of course, his father, that Shabbos, I mean, that Shabbos was, it was Yagon Vanacha. His Machutin, um, who walked all the way from the Zayat to Zachazen, came to Davin Musaf. Who's going to Davin Musaf that Shabbos? The whole shul was devastated. You know, Thursday afternoon, the day after the engagement party, we all went to the Levaya. It was heartbroken, heartbreaking. And a week later, you know, Kenny comes to show, and now he's not in Shiva. Now, a Kohen in Shiva doesn't do Berchas Kohenim, but eventually he starts doing Berchas Kohenim again. And in order to do Berchas Kohenim, he has to do Be'ava. How do you do Be'ava? And he has to be in a state of Ava. And based on the Minag Ashkenaz, in a state of Simcha. And he somehow is able to do that. That's a Kohen. There isn't a human being in that show who doesn't love that man. It's just not possible. It's not possible to want to give him a hug. That's who should be doing Berchas Kohenim. And if you're a Kohen, more important than the Tosfos you learn. Listen, learning a Tosfos is not a Daraisa. You could learn lots of pieces of Torah, but Birchas Kohen is a mitzvah Daraisa. Right? So the, the job of the Kohen is to be a vehicle for bringing Hashem's love into our lives. And that's one way to look at the Ava, that a Kohen has to be in the state of Ava. The other, which is Rav Kook, says, no, no. It's not that the Kohen has to be in the state of Ava. It's that the mitzvah of this bracha is the ability to give the Jewish people love. Levarechet Amo Yisrael, that we, Amo Yisrael, should have Ava. That we should feel a desire to give back to Akash Baruch. That we should feel that Hashem gives to us. Now I understand the Brechas Kohenim. What is Yivarech Hashem Vishmarecha? What does it mean that we should have material good? Because if you want to give to Akash Baruch, if you want to make the world a better place, you need to have things to do it with. <clears throat> if you're living on a mountaintop and you're eating bread and water, and you have no clothes, and you have no car, and you have no house, and you have no money, then it's going to be very difficult to fulfill mitzvot and to make the world a better place. Bill Gates, he's doing a lot to make the world a better place. If that's why you want these things in your life, then that's Birchaz I think that's probably the foundation of what Birchaz Karnim is all about. You know? And I'll just finish with one last thought. When else do we custom? Do we have the custom to say Birchaz Karnim? Besides Shul, or after Tefillah except for Mincha, or in Chutzlar, it's on Yom Tov. When, when else? When else? Anybody? No? Mincha on a fast day? No, 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 no. Um, we say it every Tefillah, um, if we don't have Kohenim. By the way, we do this in Israel too. We've been doing Merpeset Minyanim in Corona, and we don't always have a Kohen. So if you don't have a Kohen, so what do you say? Barcheni, right, right? Um, 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 we, we ask Hashem we don't have Kohenim but since you gave Kohenim the opportunity to be the vehicles to give us your bracha okay, so there's no Kohenim so give us the bracha we still do Birchaz Kohenim in Tefillah it's just that we ask for it in a different way and it's not a Doraiza and fine right? and the Rambam by the way quotes that Nusach this is not some modern this is a very old Nusach right very old version no 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 there's another time that we say Birchaz Kohenim when else do we say Birchaz Kohenim come on no. No. Weddings. Pardon? Weddings. Come on. When you bless your kids. When you bless your children Friday night. There is a custom for Kornim to come up and give a bracha at a chuppah. I actually think that the reason that that custom started, I could be wrong. I did not uh, look for this extensively. But I did look in a couple of ways. I didn't find it. I didn't find it in the Shulchan Aruch and the Chuppah of the Kiddushin. I didn't find 
I think this started because some wedding couple needed to give an extra keyboard and they didn't know what to do. And the father-in-law was a Kohen. So they said, why don't you give a Berchus Kohenim? It's a great extra cover. I actually was just at a wedding of an alumni and he pulled out a cover. What an impressive... Because don't get me wrong. If you can honor more of your friends, that creates more simcha. It's a beautiful thing at a wedding. I'm not uh, being cynical about this. You know, I used to have... I used to think I have the ultimate list of how many kibbutzim, how many honors you can create at a chuppah. I found out two new ones. He had two boys come up and be the Ede Mesira. After the Ketubah was read, after the Ede Kedushin, so two boys came up, two of his friends, and they, one of them were actually in the right to alum, and they witnessed him giving the Ketubah to his wife. Now there is a concept of Ede Mesira, but I never saw that at a wedding. It was a great idea, right? Why not? You could have the witnesses of the L'chaim. You know, you could make lots of Kibbutzim, right? So no, but Friday night, we have a custom, this is brought down in many sources, to say Berchaz Kornim. Why do we say Berchaz Kornim when we bless our children, bless our sons? Right? Right? And whether it's uh, your daughter, or your or your son, then you say, Why? Because what is this whole bracha? This whole bracha is, right? That we should appreciate the things that we have in our life and recognize them as vehicles to make the world a better place, to develop our relationship with Hashem. Could you think of a better example of that than having children? You know? That your children are the ultimate vehicle that connect you to Kosh Baruch Hu? That they're the way in which you change the world? And that you know it's not about you? Oh. That's what Birchad Kornim is all about. It's about the ability to give back to Hashem. Yivarech Hashem Vishmarecha. By the way, I should, I, this is not fair. We have two more minutes, so I'll just add one more thing. Um, it's true that Yivarecha Hashem Vishmarecha is... Uh, is according to Rashi about the material wealth, the Rambam in the Mornevuchim actually has another perspective. Um, if you look at the man, right? Material wealth is like the mana that we get from heaven when you think about it. And um, there's an interesting pasuk when it comes to the man in Shemot Perak Zayin. It says, right, why do we, you know, do all these things with man? We get man in the morning and we're supposed to, you know, baboker baboker, we're supposed to go out and gather it. Leman anasenu ha'yelech b'torati imo. In order to test the Jewish people, will they follow my laws? Will they follow my Torah? So the rabbi says, what sort of a test is that? What sort of a test is that? Man is a test? Like I can understand if I say to all of you, one year on Yom Kippur, you know what, we're to write, that was beautiful, but you know what, I feel we're not there yet, so we're going to do another Yom Kippur. We're going to do a second day. That'd be a difficult test. But imagine I say to you, you know, I take my five, my six-year-old grandson, say to him, listen, I want to see how serious you are. I'm going to give you this ice cream cone. Let's see if you can finish it. What sort of a test is that? Hashem rains down food from the heavens. According to Chazal, it could taste like anything I wanted to. There was always enough. It was never too much. What sort of a test is that? So the Rambam in the Morning Vukim says there are two types of tests. There are tests of bad times. You know, you're stuck in your house for corona. You're walking down the street and there's a riot. I mean, what's been going on this week in America and in the world is horrendous and, you know, do a Q&A tonight at the end of the year. You can ask me what I think about that. But um, and then there are tests of the good times. When everything's great. When you got into the college you wanted to and you get the intern job you want and you got straight A's and all everything is good. Do you remember where that came from? You know, one day, Mertz Hashem, you should all find the right woman and you should be married. You should have healthy children, have great jobs and do wonderful things. Will you remember every day what a blessing it is to have that come in your life? That's also Yivarech Hashem Vishmecha. Hashem should guard you 
from the bracha that you receive. That the blessing in your life shouldn't become a curse. You know? So that's the first bracha. And then the second bracha, Yerashem Panavelecha Vichuneka, that that Hashem, that we should be able to develop our relationship with Hashem, that these two different components, that they should allow me to be whole, that they should allow me to be complete. Right? The ability to see Hashem in the physical world, to experience Hashem in the spiritual world, and to combine the two of them together, that's what Berchus Karni is about. So that is a little food for thought on the topic of Berchus Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.